welcome to episode 203 of Control the Controllables. And it's the final Grand Slam of 2023 in New York City. And what a brilliant two weeks we had. And I was lucky to be there. We're going to hear all about that and so much more as I bring our brilliant panellists back to you. We've got the US Open 2023 Women's Doubles Champion, Gabby Dabrowski. And Gabby's been with us on the last few of our panels on the Grand Slams. And to see her firsthand and be her coach, watching her firsthand win the title with Erin Routliff was a quite incredible feat. You know, Roy of the Rovers story, really, when only their fourth tournament together. So we'll be going through that and we'll get first-hand reaction from Gabby on that and how her life has changed. Maybe Freddie Nielsen, who was also our panellist who won the 2012 Wimbledon men's doubles title. He has a little bit of advice for Gabby. And then Kieran Vorster, he had a great US Open as well. Liam Brody who did very well, and then Dan Evans, who won a couple of great matches before playing a brilliant four-set match with Carlos Alcaraz, and he was also helping Serana Kirstia, who made the quarterfinals, beating Rabakina on the way, and so he's got lots of great stories. And then, of course, Emily Webberly-Smith, who I have to thank, because she was the one that introduced me to Gabby, and started that relationship as a coach-player relationship that has now come to fruition here in here, here in New York. So a big thank you to Emily. And Emily is busy competing hard out there on the tour, and she was able to jump on before she played a match the next day. So a big thanks, as always, to Emily. There's lots to talk about. There's lots of storylines. They almost write themselves from that brilliant two, three weeks in Flushing Meadows, and I hope you enjoy. As ever, I'm sure it's going to bring lots of thoughts you've got yourself. Please do share them, get in touch with us, and hey, give it a like. Give the give the podcast a like on your platform, share it far and wide, and we hope you're still enjoying all of these episodes. But over, I pass to our US Open 2023 review panellists. Our US Open 2023 Review panelists, a big welcome. How are you all doing? Great. Good. Good great thanks, Dan. How um, great to have some champions on the podcast. Awesome. A, ch- a champion, very much. A, an unbelievable champion. Gabby Dabrowski and Erin Routliff, the women's doubles champions of US Open 2023. So how are you feeling, Gabby? Amazing. <laughs> um, it comes in waves, I think, because I'm still so switched on because we have tournaments coming up and still have to prepare and do like a lot of admin and bookings and phone calls and all the stuff. So yeah, but uh really great feeling and a huge thanks to you for helping so much. It really made a difference. Well, it's, uh, thank you for allowing me to be a small, a small part of the fortnight. It was, it was an amazing couple of weeks and a big, big, big well done to you and Erin and I've already decided we need to get the two of you on and have have your own podcast because having spent the last few weeks with you guys, I think you should have your own podcast anyway. You know, we get <laughs> get get an Aaron in in front of a microphone and then see and then seeing your face 
and then seeing what happens next is is newsworthy for everyone and you know seeing how it all came together was was absolutely fantastic and anyone i'm speaking to this week it does feel very surreal you know the whole thing and it's it's not something i've experienced before but to be around that special special achievement this weekend it's like did did it happen you know and did even the whole us open happen because in in our sport and you know freddie you've you've experienced this as well and gabby you're talking about moving on to the to the next tournament already and we've talked lots andy murray won the olympics and then the next morning he flew off to play washington you know and in other sports people seem to have time to enjoy these achievements and reflect on these achievements whereas i found myself back on the tennis court which is a place I love to be, but straight back in at the academy, you're finding yourself going off to the next next event. And Freddie, was that something when when you back when you won Wimbledon? Was that something that you were able to enjoy at the time? Is it something that comes comes later? You know how how do you reflect on that period as well? It it came in two two parts. The first part was I went back home for a week and said yes to everything. So whatever I was invited to, I had friends and family over. So the first week I didn't sleep. I was so tired. I overslept for a morning TV interview, even though I knew I was going to so be so tired. I was worried I was going to sleep over. So I slept in my couch with my phone on basically on my face with 15 alarms to make sure that it woke me up and I still didn't wake up. Um, but but then I went uh, then I went straight to the Olympics to be the hitting partner for Caroline. That was the That's first right. thing I did after the after Wimbledon. Uh, but then at the end of the season, when all the we have all these uh, end of the year programs and sporting events, and then it kind of came back a little bit. And then I had time to celebrate a little bit on my own and have some have some bigger parties. We had a we had some pretty big parties after the after the World Tour finals in in London. Where that was also pretty fun. He went to to the World Tour finals in London, lost the semifinals, uh, had had some big nights out. Then had to do ATP University afterwards, where we had to be in school and learn about the ATP. And then we got a tour of the O2 Arena, where we saw where the players' locker rooms were and stuff. That was pretty strange. <laughs> and and uh, what? So what's one bit of advice for Gabby? Milk it. Oh, I thought you were going to say, "Don't do that." <laughs> No, milk it. Take it. Take it. Take advantage of it. It's it's a it's a great experience. Uh, you're a very good player. You're probably going to have chances to win some more, but you never know. And people that get on to it. I always remember Hussey, Stephen Huss, telling me that when he won Wimbledon, um, he was in Wimbledon, and and he didn't really have any of his friends and family to celebrate with because he was obviously an Australian, so it was kind of a little bit of anticlimactic. But don't underestimate how how big a win this is, and take it all in and milk it. That's what I'm. I would recommend. But don't do anything you wouldn't want to do. I had some. I was pretty good at not saying. I I told you I said yes to everything, but then after that, I didn't. I had the opportunities to do many weird things, but I was also. I had some. I had some spine. So don't don't just do stupid stuff for the sake of doing stupid stuff. Do what you want to do. Do we get to know what the weird things were? <laughs> Oh no! I was just participating in stupid TV shows, and okay. I had a I had a I had a book deal, and and these kind of things, and yeah, all of a sudden people wanted to wanted a little bit of piece of me just because I was flavor of the day, and then yeah, anymore. yeah, got it. What's one TV show, Emily, that we'd want Freddie Nielsen to be on? 
Gabs, if you if you shared my knowledge on TV to be asked this question, <laughs> I was gonna be like, "There's no way she knows." It's not my area, Dan. Vozzy, <laughs> I would, I would, uh, yeah, put put him on, get let, get him in front of Piers Morgan, uncut and uncensored. Whoa. <laughs> uh, see, I, I, okay. I, I, I want to see him on Strictly Come Dancing. That's that's the that's my that's my choice. You've got that in Denmark as well, haven't you? Yeah, I was asked a few times to be honest. Were you? Oh, yeah. come Are on. you a good dancer? I'm Have a horrific dancer. Down? I look like I'm having an epileptic seizure <laughs> when I do dance. <laughs> in, in rhythm? <laughs> yeah, in rhythm. No, they asked me a few times. First of all, I, I, had a, I have a rule. I don't do TV shows that I wouldn't want to watch myself. And second of all, it's pretty tough. You have to take like eight or ten weeks out of your calendar to do it. I'm not ready to do that with tennis. So there was it was just no chance. But even now, if I was asked now, I would never do it. No chance I'm gonna dance on national TV. Ain't happening. Would you take that offer up, Gabby? The Canadian version? Um, yeah. Why not? Dancing's fun. I like it. Okay, that's Gabby's year done. <laughs> Move <laughs> home. We'll, we'll start scheduling 2024. They, they, uh, they asked me to do MasterChef as well. And then the second season, they came back and said, we want to ask you for MasterChef again, but this time it's the partnership one. So it's kind of like doubles. How would you want to do that? No. I would be um, terrible at that. I'd be like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> no, you'd just be like, is there Uber Eats? <laughs> I'd be like, do you have peanut butter? <laughs> I want to move on with the storylines and I don't want uh, this to be all about Gabby, Gabby's win. And I mean, it can we make matter. it about your two wins? As I well? mean, don't yeah. worry. I yeah, mean, I I, well, 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 what about that Grand Slam a, winning double coach? It's, it's about bloody time. I tell you what, Gabby getting all this credit. I was waiting for this to, you know. <laughs> I feel like well, we should be interviewing <laughs> you, Dan. Well, what I was going to say is I was too busy coaching players to win Grand Slams. I don't really know the other storylines that happened. <laughs> so, so, so I'm going to need you guys to tell me what happened. And my bloody TV in that, you know, beautiful hotel room in New York. You know, you get back and you think, what's what what you're going to do in New York on a, on an evening back to the room? You put on the night match. It's just like a, it's like the perfect end to a day. And there was a massive dispute between ESPN and Spectrum Cable, which meant the whole of bloody New York's cable was down and ESPN wasn't wasn't playing, so you couldn't watch the matches. Oh, yeah. Which was which was nuts. So so genuinely the storylines were quite difficult to pick up. So so I'm gonna have to throw that to you guys. And Vozzy, what we, we spoke about lots of things in the preview before the US Open happened. And, you know, we talked from, from scheduling, which seems to be a big one we like to talk about. Uh, we talked about the PTPA. We talked about the Saudis potentially coming into tennis. Um, you know, those were obviously hot topics that were discussed throughout the event. But what, what are some of the standout storylines for you over the last couple of weeks? I mean, obviously... The PTPA were making some some noise um, whilst they were there. Obviously, the ATP announced the the baseline uh, figures for for players for the next three years. If you top one hundred and top one hundred one to one seventy five, one seventy five to to two fifty. So I thought that was that was quite big news. Um, having gone through the numbers, 
I think the baseline numbers are too low. I think um, when you when you look at uh, the players in the top 100s prize money right now, they've made about 600 grand. If you if you end of your ranking is between one and one one oh one, you're guaranteed 300 grand next year. Um, if you keep yourself inside the top 100, it's nowhere near what the baseline baseline figures are. But it's a start. But the PTPA would jumping on about you know how uh, you know a little bit of pressure you know being put on the the ATP and um, you know all of a sudden they're putting on you know they're coming out with these numbers I mean this is this has been work in progress for the last four years and I think the biggest problem with the PTPA is that um, they're not even sitting down with the player councils of either the WTA or the ATP um, and then they just and the reason why they can't is because they don't have strong leadership so they can't go in there with demands and basically say well if you don't meet our demands we're going to strike which is basically what what they should be doing or should be saying because they just don't have the player power behind them uh, to back that up um, and there's always going to be players wanting to play so so the baseline thing was was an interesting one that yeah, um, sure. was was discussed um the other one was um in the coaches meeting were um, the number of seats in a coach's box and also coaching box location. It seems this doesn't seem to be a standardized location at uh, at each event. Like in, in Toronto, you might also be in a top tier. You know, you were so far away from the court. It felt like that yeah. a little bit on Arthur Ashe. Yeah, Especially when your players yeah. weren't looking at you. But yeah, all that. I don't blame them not looking at you, mate. <laughs> at least give me your ear, you know. It felt like you yeah. had to foghorn anything out. And then and then I then found out I was speaking to Aaron's sisters and potentially we said a couple of things we shouldn't have said. And then somebody said to me, do you know there's a microphone there? I was like, oh, God, I'm really a rookie at this. Like, I'm a real, yeah. like this, is, this is really not good. Yeah, because one of Thomas Thomas's comments with to Serrano was just hit the ball in the blue. Yes, it was. Then, I heard that, <laughs> and it was put on Twitter. You said coaching tip for Serrano: <laughs> hit the ball in the blue. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a, it's a starting point, but it is. It, it, yeah. it, 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 I found as coaches, we maybe our egos like to think we're helping more than we are, but on on but Louis that was, Ar- that was, that was another thing that the coaches said is they need to take the mics out the coaching box. Yeah. Um, they, 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 they said because you, you could have a situation where you'd be giving information to your player and somebody else on TV hears it who knows the other coach and could phone them and say, this is what they're saying. Yeah, well, that could happen for sure. That's yeah, what I so... thought when they had the on-court coaching thing. It's like if they're yeah. televising the on-court coaching, like a minute, minute and a half of advice, why wouldn't someone watching just then tell the coach or the other player? But then yeah, also, so... not only the microphones in the box, but the cameras in the building. I think that's another thing that needs to be looked at because there are too many like private moments that are being publicized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the big so... one, the big one, Emily, on that was, I, I'm sure you saw the Sabalenka. Breaking yeah, the, breaking I saw of the GDE's rush. tweet about that. An but absolute then, disgrace. But then yeah. fr- from there, though, there's then people saying, yeah, but she's got the Netflix camera on as well at the same time. No, but but, but however, however, when when Netflix produced the, the episode, 
the player can say, "I want that taken out," or "I need, I, I don't agree. Oh, that needs to come out." That are you sure like, about that? I was told hundred percent. No, I was told that that's not not allowed. No, 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 no. no. I mean, clearly, she didn't know the cameras were on her at that moment. Like I know with Netflix, um, the player has, the player can screen it before it goes and can agree to have things taken out. I know that for a fact. Okay, it's not raw and uncensored. Yeah, in in terms of the privacy, what what happens with that? Is that something that that the the players I know that was a lot of people talking about it. But what what's the steps on that? Is that something? Are, are I'm we... sure that the players have signed a disclaimer to say that there are cameras rolling. Um, there there would be a legal document that they would have signed agreeing to the terms and conditions, because there were there were cameras in the gym, both by both down, but where do you get screwed? Where the stringer was and upstairs. So, but, are, but are we yeah. not be are we not being a little bit hypocritical here? Because we've talked a lot about growing the sport, allowing people in. You know, we wanna we wanna understand people a little bit more. We wanna we wanna see the vulnerable side of people. Um, you know, tennis is in a in this bad place, and and I actually thought U.S. Open did a really good job actually on social media throughout the couple of weeks. You know, of just little little snippets. That, that they that they were putting out there that was giving us a little bit of a look in into what's actually happening and then on the on the subject of and Freddie I'll bring you in here on the on the subject of it's a die in sports they sold 957,000 tickets at the US Open or more and and a few more at the US Open this year ground passes were going for $280 during labor weekend Saturday, Sunday, Monday, sold out. You know, couldn't couldn't get a ticket in town. I mean, walking through the site was absolute manic. It it was it was a it was clearly an incredibly well supported event. They had the fan week, and I heard the numbers are up forty one percent this year from from last year. Brilliant idea, an idea that absolutely all Grand Slams, all tournaments should take on. You know, they were letting letting people in for free to go and watch the qualifying matches. The stadiums were packed. You know, obviously selling merchandise, selling food. You know, good for the good for the tournament, but amazing for getting to know the players. Amazing atmosphere for the players. You know, you think at, at Wimbledon, you're playing basically on a on a cricket pitch. Yeah, you know, and and here you are in the qualifying event. You know, proper tennis players and, that are playing. And are charging you fifteen quid, aren't they? Yeah. So, so you know, what what an amazing thing. So, uh, tennis doesn't seem to be dying to me. Well, there's more to tennis than just the slams, uh, and I think the slams have uh, such a big name that it will always be a big event in itself, regardless of who's participating and whatnot. Um, so, I don't think it's fair to put tennis under the bracket of the slams i think it's more the the rest of the tour and a lot of the 250s and and all the congestions you know you see some of the davis cup and all this so so there's much more to tennis but but i also said that i've always said that i think that tennis isn't as dying as everybody is making out to be and therefore we should still protect the sport and the the the, the basics of the sport and and i'm on uh, but i'm also very minority person because I never I didn't find people agree with me but I would be okay to not make as much money if it meant protecting the basics of the sport and I, I'm 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 worried just for my own the personal liking of 
changing the, the the scoring too much, making it a completely different game to to cater to to new fans and whatnot. And I'm I'm much more into to keeping uh, the the sport as it is. And and with the slams as the the flagships of the sport, I think we're strong enough to keep so, the tour going. So what is it, Emily, that attracts people to the Grand Slams that we can't bring to the, the, the Masters 1000s, the 500s, the the 250s and 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 down. If if there's there's an appetite for the sport, there's an appetite obviously for star names, you know, but why can't we replicate that at other other parts of the sport? I think generally people have knowledge of the four big tournaments. Um if you ask the average person it would in the states they would know what the open is whereas i think if you ask them if they knew about the san diego tournament this week i don't think they would know about it so clearly the way that they're marketed is not going to be the same but i think the the way that that it's so accessible for people to come and watch at something like the us open but to watch the matches on the outside court that close I think people find that interesting who don't know tennis that well is to actually see close up and to actually feel it a bit more with players and players walking around. Um, whereas I think if it's just stadium courts or one other court, I think people who can't buy tickets or who don't want to sit there for a, for a whole day or a final just aren't interested. But I don't know. I think globally, it's, I think the marketing of tennis needs a total revamp um still regardless of those facts that you suggested it's great that the ticket sales were like that for for us so they're clearly doing a better job than than most but i think it's i think it's interesting that that collies week i get so many messages from people and housing people and families that i've stayed with who are so excited to go to that qualifying week to mm. see if their players can qualify and then follow them through um all the way through to their in later in their career and i think Wimbledon could do a better job with that i think people would be really excited to see that that kind of that stage beforehand before you get to the main event and people are trying to give their best to, to qualify i think it's exciting for anyone because it's like a chance it's like a a lottery ticket with a lot of hard work behind it because i am um, i mean gabby doesn't give much time off at these tournaments so i used to have quite an easy life with harry and lloyd but she she works she works a lot harder but i did manage to escape for a couple of hours on a couple of evenings to a couple of baseball matches you know and i went to see the mets and i went to see the yankees just because i'm a sports geek if i'm honest and i went to watch these baseball games but it's a bit shite to be honest I mean, it's like oh, baseball's crazy. It, it was a bit like what, but but the thing, and I also went to Miami Heat earlier in the year. Now, the one thing that each of those events I've gone to, they've pretty much been packed. I think the the Mets were like fifty nine and sixty five. I mean, my maths is not that good to work it out quickly, but it's roughly one hundred and twenty four matches. You know, so it's 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 a lot of games that have been played like a crazy amount and the same you see the same with the basketball same with the basketball teams as well yet you still got people like myself 
who were sports enthusiasts that are going, I want that ticket. I'll pay for that ticket. I want to go and experience that. So what is it that they're doing from a marketing standpoint? Because I'm not a baseball fan. I'm a sports fan. You know, so what what is it that they're doing that is enticing someone like me and thousands of others to pretty much sell out stadiums that many times throughout a year? That, but that Dan, was... having been once, would you go again, given your experience? So it might that... entice you in once, but it doesn't keep you there. Ooh, I don't know about that. I, I went I went to the Mets and then I went to the Yankees the week after. But you thought it was not very good. Ah, I, uh, it was... There was something nostalgic about it. Um, yeah. I, but what I mean is, do you think people come to tennis and then they don't, and then they actually don't enjoy the day, or do you think they're just not coming to start with? I'm not sure. I, 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 I I'm a bit. I'm a being a bit unfair. Here. I, I did. I enjoy the experience. Yeah, I did. I did quite like the experience. Probably. Um, I bought caps. I bought, I, I, I collect shot glasses. It's not that I drink a lot of alcohol. I just like shot glasses wherever I go around the world. I, I took it in. It was quite enjoy. It was enjoyable. I would love to take my kids to experience it. So yeah, I would go again, I think, but without yeah. being absolutely blown away by it, I I would go again. So, but then so, you yeah. also went, you also went in the biggest market. You didn't go to the Oakland A's or the Kansas City Royals or any of the other teams. That I would have if football. I was in Kansas City. But they don't manage to get the same kind of crowds. That, that's what I mean. So you're comparing like the, the biggest markets in the sport. You know, it, it's not like, and you, you wouldn't go to AAA or AA or, or whatever. Like. Okay, but let's take Coco Golf sensation. And we're going to get to Coco because she's going to be amazing or is amazing for, for women's tennis, in my opinion. You know, I think she's someone that, yeah, we all like. She's really difficult not to like. I think she's got a fantastic personality. Her speech was out of this world. Um, She's young. She's smart. She, she brings so, 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 so much. And then you've got Carlos Alcaraz. You've got these, they're, they're playing 20 tournaments a year. So I'm not even talking about, you know, we'd love for people to have that same enthusiasm for players that are 200, 300, 400 in the world because they deserve that as well because the level of tennis is, is incredible. However, I'm talking about the superstars. The superstars of our game are playing 20 tournaments a year. And a lot of those tournaments aren't well well watched why I, I i probably think that the biggest stars in the game could do more for, for the sport when you compare if you if you compare breakpoint to the golf one you, you know you had mcelroy who's you know a top top golfer you know he was doing huge amounts of interviews and follow you know we haven't seen adele we haven't seen you know, in Breakpoint, we haven't seen Djokovic being interviewed. We haven't seen yeah. any of the big stars. Yeah, and I think you know Alcaraz and Coco Goff are are the up, up and coming ones. You, you know, will be established as superstars in years to come. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, but I think I think from a marketing perspective, there, there could be a lot better ideas that they could do to get to to get them engaged. I, I think you know, I think like you know, when you practice on those first those four or five courts. At the front, I know with golfers, they give a lot of time back to, to the fans. Um, it's a bit hit and miss whether the players coming off those courts are going to go and engage with the fans and take, have autographs and you know photos or just walk straight back into the players' area. 
And what they forget about is, you know, they're not in the sport of tennis. They're in the entertainment business. And if they're not entertaining and, and the punters aren't putting the money to come and watch, it'll eventually die out. Xavier spoke about this on one of our panels. Xavier yeah, he released, did, yeah. And, and he said he wished he'd known as a player how important that stuff was. You know, and like yeah, now, he's, now he's playing the legends. You'll go and <laughs> you'll have a cigar and you'll have a beer with the with yeah. the with the corporate people. Okay, you might not do that yeah. if he's playing at the top end, but he, he said he didn't quite realize how important that was for building relationships. And then I don't, whether they realize or whether it's just an ignorant an ignorant standpoint of view that they they're not they're so caught up myopically in what they're doing, they forget about what's the, the bigger picture. And, you know, what they've got to realize is, you know, obviously there's life after tennis as well. And so, you know, whilst, whilst you're in there, you, you you should really be giving back as much as you can. And, you know, what can you do for the fan base? But that's what you've got to think about. You're an entertainer, you're not a tennis player. It's a yeah. tough one, though, isn't it? Because I'm sure that if you guys were, first of all, I think Bozzi is spot on to compare to golf. The other ones are vastly different where you have contracts and stuff. And you're a team sport and you play half a year and then you don't play. So golf is probably much more comparable. But if you were the coaches of Novak, would you really recommend him to play more than he is? No, but what people are forgetting as well. So so people say they play 20 weeks a year, yeah? So four of those tournaments are the three-week events. So they're there the week before and the, and, and the two weeks off. So what's that, 12 weeks? Um, and then if you play in the nine master series, you know, those, those are now two week events. So that's 30 weeks right there that they're playing out of 52 week year. If you think of it, if you think of it like, like that, and then, and then over and above that, what, what they're playing, maybe five, five hundreds. So that's 35 weeks a year actually playing tournaments. People go 20, 20 tournaments. That's not a lot. Yeah. But actually calculate what, what they've got to block out in their calendar weeks. It's, it's 30, 35 weeks. Yeah. Doesn't leave them much much other time. Whereas in golf, if you're playing twenty tournaments, that's tw that's twenty weeks. I, and and I think just on that point, before I, I want to jump into to the women's singles event, it, you are right, Freddie. It's 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 probably it isn't the great comparison. And I guess as 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 you guys are just talking there, I'm thinking, well, actually, I've bought into the brand of New York Yankees. I couldn't have told you one of their players. And I guess that, but I can tell you that they've been around since 1903 because it says it on the cap that I bought for $30, <laughs> you know? So like it's, it's been going, it's so deep rooted as a, as a brand that that's what we're buying into. And I guess tennis players come and go. Uh, I know that Federer's got his brand, but then they, they we're, we're waiting for the next. So there's, there's not a team that you are buying into you're buying into a player i think that's what one of the things that makes it very difficult but, and i think but the slams are, uh, are always there and i think that's why they have just as strong a brand or as yeah so the slams are the brand than most sporting brands in the world or tournaments because they're they're going to be there regardless yeah and 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 that's that's where i i think it's at and i think we need to keep celebrating that because it was it was an absolutely incredible event um in 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 every way you know i really do i think it was it was a special event to be part of but in terms of in terms of the women's singles you know um well done team uh we've we all stepped up with the coco pick um she went she went 18 and 1 on the on the hard hard court swing um people are saying the 
the importance of bringing in the right coach, you know, and whether whether people can have whatever they want to say about Brad Gilbert, um, but it was only yeah, a three few coaches though. Yeah, and 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 Brad Gilbert's the one that's talked about, and we'll get into that in a minute. And I think it's that's an important point as well. And a bit, but six eight weeks ago, she hadn't even won a five hundred. You know, then she's gone five hundred a thousand grand slam in, in that period. Um, I saw this on social media, a lot of people talking and well respected people that were saying, um, she's got Brad Gilbert and that Spanish guy. Mm. You know, and then people kept on popping in and and putting uh and this is bad as well because I'm uh, it's I I don't know his exact name. Tere Riba Marid. There you go. So and and that's he absolutely deserves deserves the credit and, and everyone within that team. So but well and done Jameer, for Jameer Jenkins as well. And he's been he's been with her for a couple of years now, huh? No, I'm not sure that long. He was with Sabina no. for a while. Okay. Um so a big, big well done to them. Uh, I wanna bring this to you, Emily, because I'm gonna I'm gonna pause the question. Eager. Um she couldn't lose. She was the one that comes up with all of our picks all of the time. Um, but it just, uh, it's probably a bit unfair to say that she's lost form. Um, but she hasn't quite dominated as much as we thought she might this year. I think overall, I just think with with Eager and with the way that she plays as well, the intensity that she brings to each point and, and how much energy she uses mentally to win the matches that she does as concisely as she does, I think it just shows that the difference that looks like a lot is actually not as much as people think when she drops that level a little bit and somebody else raises theirs, um, that's enough for it to make a difference. Um, but I loved her. I don't know if you saw her statement yesterday or the day before that she yeah. came out and said, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was said with such strength and I, I think it was great that she actually came out and said that. That she did, and I think it's a great example to everyone. Little ones, people who are at the top, people who are trying to get to the top, people who are struggling. You know, I think it was. I think it was really smart, and I don't think she did that to be a smart move. I think she did it because it was honest, and she wanted people to understand. Yeah. Um, but I think it, that comment before U.S. Open was an interesting one because I think. Um, I mean. Yeah, you're giving away quite a lot by saying that. They, they do. I think these press conferences, it's massive, really. You know, like yeah. you, if you listen to them carefully, you you often get nugget after nugget. I mean, sometimes you can just see that by looking at someone in a player's lounge, or you know, you can see the energy that they're giving out, um, or that they're not giving out. Um, but I think you can't underestimate the stress and the the, you know, the pressure that somebody like Iga is under, even though for a long time she she looked like she was dealing with it incredibly well. I think it must take its toll at some point. And also, Gabby, and, and I remember you, you text me as this match was going on with this record, matchups, matchups count, right? You know, and that's the, that's the beauty of our sport. You know, you'll have, you know, Vozzi, we were just speaking there earlier, Evo loves playing Dimanua, just beat him today in the Davis Cup. Andy Murray can hardly get games off Demonua. You know, like the 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 way that it kind oh. of 
goals and you know Ostapenko was she my dark horse by the way Ostapenko was she Ostapenko is four four and zero against uh, Swiatek she's never lost to her. That was French Open, um, yeah. She, she and she was three and zero, obviously before before that match. And you could, I think it was Judy again. That it was a great tweet from Judy, you know, and, and props for Judy for saying this. She said, "I can see the stress in Eager's box. They are seriously anxious today, you know, in the first couple of games. You know, Ostapenko brings a brand of tennis, a, a brand of personality that that stirs shit up with Eager, you know, and." Uh, that that ultimately proved, and and I guess the draws mean something because, you know, she avoids Ostapenko, you know, she Rabakin is another one that she seems to have had a little bit of problems with, you know, people that can can put her under pressure, um, you know, I I actually I actually think she beats Coco in in those bigger moments. I know she lost in Cincinnati, but I think it's a much better matchup for her. Um, but tell us about matchups. Gabby, you know, and the, the same singles, doubles, you know, how how important are those matchups for how you feel as a player, the comfort you feel? You know, there's obviously some players that just naturally make us feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Uh, and maybe, you know, relay that into, into the eager against Ostapenko matchup as well. Yeah, completely. I, I watched that whole match and you could see that Ego was quite distressed when the match started to turn in the second set and it's true that her box also had the same kind of uh vibe to them um it's interesting though that it's that type of game style in particular with the heavier conditions this year with the heavier ball because ego was someone who was very vocal about wanting to use the heavier ball versus the lighter ball even though last year she won the us open with the lighter ball and um, and a lot of players agreed. And then now we have the heavier ball. Now she's played someone like Ostapenko and maybe maybe the ball flying through the air, not as much with, you know, as much revolution as it would with the lighter ball. All of a sudden, Ostapenko's, you know, maybe not late on any of her shots and just hitting it way too clean for two sets. And there was nothing that Ego could do or it almost looked like she would have had to change her game style to be able to try to win that match, throwing in maybe some more moon balls, some short slices, some drop shots coming forward more. And it didn't look like she was really prepared to do that. Um, so yeah, I think it is really interesting with the matchups, but also the matchups on a particular surface in specific conditions. There are definitely teams that I've played in doubles before where I thought, oh, if I played them on grass, I'd be loving this, but I'm playing them on clay and it's a lot harder or vice versa. Um, Isn't that just the same with clear always for maybe. all of us? It's just not. It's just this is not a good matchup. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, <laughs> but yeah. You beat me on clay. Oh yeah, mixed. <laughs> I like mixed though on every surface. <laughs> um, but it's interesting also how Rabakina. Is it? Did Vazi say Rabakina's also beaten Iga? several times she has i i, I said that she's she's had you said that yeah so this last 12 months so it's interesting because i would say rebakina and ostapenko have the similar style of, yeah. of play hard hitting baseliners that can handle a heavy ball it's, it's really interesting and then i was in in the stadium for the final and coco had an absolute shocker like it was like she has zero chance of winning this match. Like she could hardly connect with a forehand. 
it, it looked like she couldn't handle Sabalenka at all. Um, it was like, okay, she's, this is, oh my God, what a disappointment. This is going to be uh, a two and two, two and one. Thank you very much. But Sabalenka, Vozzi, you know, she keeps getting herself in these positions. How much of that is Sabalenka and her challenges? We all have our own emotional challenges, but challenges in those big moments. And how much is this about Coco Goff and her ability to find solutions? Uh, I think it's the former rather than the latter. Um, and I, I think basically then your belief belief mechanism kicks in that, you know, you based on the self-destruct mechanism, um, Coco obviously grew in confidence, grew in belief, and then, yeah, and then the rest, rest is history. But, yeah, I mean, it's obviously... Sad to see, but um, she wins more matches than she loses these days. So, you know, and obviously that, that, that one hurt a lot, which which we discussed earlier as we saw um, after the match. So basically one of those things, you you, you, you go again, you brush it off. Um, yeah, and, you know, don't waste energy going over history. Just try and stay in the moment now and you know, move forward from it and so hopefully learn from it and, yeah, just, yeah, brush it off and go. No She's point. world number one, so it's not it's not too yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's not yeah, exactly well said and um I mean she a hell hits of a, a hell of a play. She hits the ball so well. Oh my goodness. It's an absolute farce, like with such intensity, a backhand, like just every junior player in the world get that backhand on slow motion and you know, yeah. copy it the way she gets through it so so just stunningly every every single yeah. time, you know. She's She's an incredible, incredible tennis player, and I think a great personality for the sport as well. You know, I think yeah. she's someone that is, uh, in her and Medvedev, the, the, those two should have their own podcast as well. You know, they they, <laughs> they seem to, they 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 always seem to bring something out. Uh, but what was your what was your take on the final M? What the did you what what did you see happening? Did you see Coco getting back into it? And 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 how do you, from a tactical standpoint, what did you see that Coco did that maybe I know that we've said that Sabalenka maybe struggled a little bit mentally, but there was there was a definite adjustment I think that Coco made as well. I think that when she started, I actually don't think she looked particularly nervous to start with, but the but her game was showing that she was. Um, so I think it was one of those one of those things where she kind of needed to hit her way into it, but then at the same time was kind of trying to make Sabalenka play almost. So it was like she was kind of contradicting what she was doing and just getting in a muddle. Like that's what it looked like in the first set. She would hit one, she would miss, then she'd try and bring it back, then, then it wasn't enough, and then she just couldn't find any happy medium in what she was doing. But it's interesting, like I think the way that she turned it around just by sticking in there and by, man, you know, forcing things to happen by just being there and by fighting, um, that for me is a much more interesting competitive match in terms of the actual competition and, and somebody getting involved when when it's not going well than when someone just plays lights out and there's nothing you can do about it. Definitely. So, yeah, I think it was a great example. To, to everyone watching. I also liked in previous rounds when coaches were telling her what to do and she did the opposite and backed herself. I think that was quite cool. I think she's got a lot of strength in her in 
inner strength in her in herself which which really comes through didn't she also tell her coaches but just be quiet or stop talking please yeah <laughs> literally like love that i don't even mind that like she knew what she had to do and she was just gonna she was gonna stick to it and that was pretty yeah good on her but i think i i just think it was gritty i think it was a really gritty final um, it wasn't great watching from a tennis point of view. Certainly in the first set, there were so many mistakes on easy balls from both of them, to be honest. Um, but it shows how hard it is. And I think so often we see this brilliant level produced that we just think that everyone can produce all the time in a final because we've been lucky with that on the men's side, that's for sure. Um, and it's not that easy. And then they were just fighting and gritting away and one of them dealt with it better than the other one. What what I I felt I was watching was something I've watched pretty much nonstop for the last fourteen years. Um, living in Spain, it was Spanish influence massively, and and the rule, the Spanish rule, and I see you see it at, from from under tens all the way through to the pros. The Spanish rulers, if you're struggling, play up. That's what they teach. If you're struggling, play up. And especially with Coco's forehand, the grip's gone round so far. She massively, massively struggles to release the racket out of her hand. You know, it gets stuck. She gets caught in the shot, unbelievable amounts. And when you've got quite an extreme grip, you have to be able to release the racket out, the racket head out of the hand. And and all they were telling her, and I, and I think this is more Spanish influence than this is Brad Gilbert influence, is play up, play up. And she missed one forehand in the net and they went nuts at her. No, no, no. You do not miss the forehand in the net. And and she didn't actually hit a forehand that well, if you watch that match, even in the next two sets. But what she did is she played up. And once she started playing up, she started to get Sabalenka to, to make contact with the ball above her shoulders a little bit more. She got a little bit more depth. All of a sudden, Sabalenka didn't have the high territory that she had. And then what I thought was really interesting was Sabalenka started then imitating this kind of Spanish forehand. You know, like she was, it, it was clearly annoying her because because her her only tactic was hit the ball to the forehand. And she went to 6-2 and almost went 6-2 one love by by just any opportunity, bang, into the forehand. And, and and I think it was honestly as basic as that. Now, the fighting spirit, absolutely. The movement of Coco is phenomenal, you know, and, and you have to you have to be able to move incredibly well for that game style to work. <laughs> and then her ability then in on the left leg on her backhand, I thought was was absolutely phenomenal. Her way to counterattack in that position. You know, and she's got a beautiful backhand and, and can really hurt. But even the two or three winners I saw hit on the forehand, they weren't hit cleanly. You know, it was she she changed line with the forehand. She pushed, which is a Spanish pattern. That's all. I'm, I know it's not just Spanish; it's worldwide. But that's very much the, the the Spanish teaching. You know, you play high, you push them back on a diagonal on their backhand. You know, Sabalenka, I thought her movement was exposed. You know, she then dropped a couple short and then Coco managed to kind of just get another one into into the other corner. And it was it was so good for me to see that we're talking about the best players in the world, but we're still talking about doing the basics extremely well. You know, nobody was pulling any rabbits out the hat. 
Um, you know, but hard work, grit, determination, and small tactical changes of just play the ball flipping higher. <laughs> it goes on and, and wins a grand slam. And 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 it I think it was really, really good to see. Um so before before we move on, unless anyone wants to challenge me on that, which I'm also open to, um, how many grand slams does Coco go and win? I think she's one of the ones who is more likely to be uh, sustainable and and stay in the top, simply because you you said it all with character and grit. Yeah, I am gonna give you a very vague answer, but I am gonna say double digits. So what? That could be forty five. It could also be ninety nine, Vasi. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Freddie! Way to sit on the fence, my boy. Uh, okay, so you... then be direct. Give me give me your best shot. I'm gonna say eleven. Hey, so we're both right. That's what I was going to say. I was also going to say 11 because it's my favorite number, though. Oh, there we go. So when there's a podcast in like 2035, are we going to have a review of like how many how many slams Coco's well, won? No, we, well, we, we can't review Freddie's because it's just double digits. <laughs> well, I'm going to I'm going to go head to head with Freddie and say it's going to be single digits. Oh, God, sure. you too. You know? Six. Yeah, I'm not sure she'll reach double, double digits. Is a lot of grand slams, guys. I think we've got so carried away with with this era of like. Yeah, but she's still like five like years old. Nineteen, Dan. You're a fifth of the way there to double digits. But they're easy these grand slam things. I mean, you know, you just gotta. Gas yeah. is nearly gas is three. Anyone? It's bloody tough. Any any grand slam, and to get to double digits is like ah, there's a lot of stars got to align for that. There has it's, to be, but also she came around young age, so there's going to be some wear and tear. But I think double digit for her. She seems, she seems on. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna be more less vague. I'm gonna say fourteen. Jeez, that's a lot. Jesus, ready. Thank God for that. Well done, boy. Older. <laughs> and and what the and what a great what a great speech when she said thank you to everyone that has never it doesn't believe in me, you know. And I thought that was such a such a nice way of turning but i want to counter that around. who did not believe in her honestly i think there was a lot of journalists say i mean i think it's really interesting she said she reads twitter and this is another thing people listening players read twitter a lot more than you might realize or x as as people call but you know she she said i know all of the journalists i know know you by I know you by name. I know I know your Twitter handles. I know what you've said. And I think it's just it's it this is not for today, but we need to have a podcast on this at some point where we talk about what is it that drives people. And I think very often what drives people has proven people wrong. She's you know, got fire and, in her belly. And there's yeah. a there's a healthy side to that and there's a not so healthy side to that. But I think you do get like Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan documentary. He he was like he would like pick a fight with the binman at, at, at like Boston Celtics. And all of a sudden, right, I'm going to show that guy, you know, and, and the binman didn't even know he had a problem with him, but he just created <laughs> this like constant needle to, to mm-hmm. be able to do it. And, and I think, I think most, I think you'll find most athletes work in that way that it's, yeah. that it's, it's almost this, the, the, what is she, she's talked about, you know, you put, you put, gas on or put fuel on my fire you know you know i haven't put water on my fire you know and it, i think she she'd obviously done it jess pagula 
she picked out the tennis podcast and and said, you know, she'd said about her crying on the court. And she came off and she said, what are you talking about? I got my ass kicked in under an hour. I wasn't crying. I was walking off court ready for my doubles, you know, and she kind of picked someone out in the, in the, in the press, press conference and said, you, I can see you. I know who you are. The tennis podcast, uh, you know, like it, it, these players, t- they take stuff personally, uh, you know, and I think, I, I think it's great. I think having these interactions is, is, is a good thing. Um, and I, I, I'm all, I'm all for it. You know, there are a lot more tangible players nowadays. You can you can get a lot closer than once upon a time we, we used to be able to. Um, the men's side. And I want to start, big talking point for me. I, I don't know how much this went noticed. Um, Carlos Alcaraz, the name, the we're already giving him 20 grand slams as well. But, you know, he he's obviously incredible. He's dynamic. He's everything that you want from a tennis player. But his coach is calling his players, you know, and that that for me was actually a massive, massive, um, yeah, revelation, you know. And I know that that will happen at times, but you know, picking up these microphones in the boxes, it it seemed to be in the Medvedev match that literally, play by play, Ferrero is saying serve there, do that. No, this is a serve volley. This is, yeah as youngsters that were coaching Freddie, where we're coaching independents and independent thinkers and tennis players have to be able to find solutions to problems. And whereas where this, the greatest player on the planet currently, <laughs> Novak Djokovic might have something to say about that, but the one that everyone is talking about has a coach that's telling him where to hit the tennis ball. So are we going wrong with this coaching independent players and do we actually need the players to be more dependent and we need to direct it a little bit more um i know i don't know i don't know what you think well i think it's a good question i obviously when you uh when you bring up the kids it's because you're going to expect them to be able to play by themselves and without having any help obviously the rules have changed so now carlos can get help every single match he plays so um, can the kids from futures onwards now they're trialing at itf the last couple of weeks they can in yeah, Spain. They can in Spain. So, why if he gets very good advice from Juan Carlos, and it seems to be working, kids doing all right, why wouldn't you? Because it seems like when you get obsessive people at that level of tennis, they'll do whatever it takes to win. So, if that can take the pressure off Carlos so he doesn't have to face the the tough situation on its own and it's very qualified guesses or uh, advice why wouldn't you want to do it so i guess okay carlos he, he beats medvedev and juan carlos gets the shits badly can't make can't yeah. make can't make the final and that's where i was i was going to say that that you got to in the in your development you got to make sure that you're able to think independently and have that ability but if you can master that and then why why wouldn't you take advantage of all the help you can use like it's not it's probably not that carlos is incapable of coming up with the solution himself but if he if he has a match where he doesn't have to spend just a few percentages of concentration and energy energy to come up with the with the plays and somebody else can do it then he can focus on executing and we're not talking about 
a guy who's competing at a level where there you can play a guy where you, there's 600 one day and 200 the other day. He's playing against one, two, three, four, five in the world where the, the margins are tiny. So if he can have a little more extra concentration throughout a five-set match on executing, and then somebody outside the box can take away that that stress or that dilemma it is to make up these play calls, then why not take advantage of it? I personally don't like that aspect of tennis, what it's become, but if that's the, that's the rules, why wouldn't you want to do it? And I think he came up with a hell of a lot of solutions against Evo. I think Evo threw, threw everything at him in that match and midpoint he was coming up with solutions. Um, I That was one of my favourite matches to watch of the whole US Open. I thought it was unbelievable tennis. And you got to do what's right for your player, right? You got to make an individual assessment every time what's what's going to help this player become the best it can be. And uh, if that's being independent in the thinking, then go for that. If it's advising with with uh, with the coaching or if you can be there a lot, then then that's that. I think it's very individual, right? I don't think I would was necessarily disagreeing with it. I think it's more, I think it's an interesting topic. And, uh, but I, I do, I do have certain concerns with it. And I think, and, and actually, Gabby, I don't know if you mind me, me sharing this, but there was, there was a high, highly stressful situation that Gabby and Aaron were in, in the quarterfinal match, which for me was match of the tournament. You know, that was just this, incredible exciting doubles match on Louis Armstrong with against Taylor Townsend and Leila Fernandez and the question was asked to us in the box what players do we go to here and as a coach it's also quite a nerve-wracking situation because because what you what you're thinking as a coach is get this one wrong and it doesn't, and and it's not even getting it wrong. It might be the right percentage play that increases your chance of winning the point. But if the player spanks a winner, which the best players in the world are capable of doing, right from all positions of the court, all of a sudden, the player it also brings in the fact that the players that want well, coaches bloody clueless has got that one wrong, you know. And and it, it does bring up like certain certain bits and. And myself and and Bruce and a big shout out to Bruce who was an absolute legend. It was amazing spending a couple of weeks with Bruce, who who's Aaron's coach. You know, we had this really quick discussion between us. You know, where it was like, I think you should do that. I think they should do that. And I said, I, I don't think so. I think you should do. You know, and it was it was a real live situation on match point. And I I won't go into all the all the details of that. But ultimately, the girls executed the play and and, and won the match. You know, to to, to win ten eight in the in the third set. But I do think it brings up a lot of a lot of potential for 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 challenges. Um, if if the player truly is relying on a on a point by point basis, you know, I think every now and then having it in a in a moment of stress, can you just give me something to hang on to? Brilliant, absolutely. You know, let's go with that. Let's use something. Let's. But if it is a player by player basis, which which certainly was being reported on Alcaraz, I think that's a little chink in his armor. Possibly, but at the same time, like you you mentioned, the being uncomfortable. It, it's also part of the coach's job to take on some of that discomfort so that the player can yes. be more comfortable. I agree completely. 
But my so, but my but my point is not every point. Why not? Argue against it. Yeah, well, my, I think my big argument against it is is I don't think uh, I don't think anyone that's at the top of their of their industry should be that dependable on a person for for various reasons. But one, yeah, that that person could disappear, you know, for for whatever reason. You know, we all know that I know that Juan Carlos and and Carlos seem to have a great relationship, but things happen in life, right? Is he going to be in his box for the next fifteen years? Unlikely, if we're if we're all being honest, you know, you'd think that something's probably going to happen at that point. So, what has he then got to train up another coach that's going to give him all of give give him all of those all of those players and and that moment? Um, if it's every single point, I think you then end up, yeah, having someone who clearly has a great IQ for the game is potentially going to be killing that IQ off a little bit if you just now working on auto response and again i'd love to you know bring you in here gabby because for me and i'm not just saying this you know but for, for me your your intelligence on the court is is phenomenal you know and your ability to 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 read the game and the creativity that you have from a player's standpoint where where would you stand on the discussion that me and freddie are having well you would still only get it half the time, right? Because it's not like someone's getting told every point because you're on the other side of the court. So it's not like the coach is shouting to you every single point. It might be half the time at most. And then if you're on the same side, I mean, I didn't see all of Alcaraz's matches, but I think he does both. I think he's very interactive when he's on one side of the court and then he figures it out for himself when he's on the other side of the court and then looks over to the box for more support than anything. Um, so from my perspective, I think a lot of the coaching was happening anyway. So it's not something that I think should go away as a rule. Like, I don't think we should bring back the no coaching rule or anything like that, because it's going to happen regardless. It's going to happen in other languages or people are going to figure out how to do it anyway. But yeah, for me, I think it's more like, it really just depends so much on the match too. Like there are some matches where I feel like I have everything under control and I don't really need a lot of help. And then there are other matches when the entire um, thousands of people in the crowd are against you. And then, yeah, you do need other support <laughs> because I feel like in our quarterfinal match, we were coming towards you guys a lot more than we were in any of the other matches. Yeah. Um, and I felt like we were more reliant on you in that match than all the other ones. So yeah, so I think it's it's very dependent. Stress related. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot related to stress. I would say for sure, um, and I would say as well, depending on how the crowd is leaning, because when the crowd is leaning completely against you, you really feel like the whole world just wants you to lose. And like when we played our quarterfinals, it felt very hostile, and I actually I really hated it. So I think coming to you in the box probably saved that match for us just being able to hang in there mentally and not fade away because it just was so uncomfortable. Yeah. You were mentioning young IQ, maybe, I mean, who knows, it is also tough to develop, but maybe also it's part of Carlos can pick it up, you know, Oh, Carlos, uh, Juan Carlos was telling me at this point, at this point, and then they have a discussion afterwards. Well, what was the thinking behind this? And maybe that's something to store for future memory. I mean, there can be a lot of reasons for it, I think, and and I I don't I'm I'm not completely 
disagreeing with your point, but I'm just saying that it. I don't. If if it's something that they determine is valuable, then I don't think there's a reason why they shouldn't do it. Yeah, and and I think I think probably my strength of feeling on this comes from I think Juan Carlos got it wrong against Medvedev, and mm. I think he overplayed the wide serve and volley. Which has clearly become a Medvedev play, you know. Like, there's no hiding. You know, if I played Medvedev, I'd try it. He'd pass my fat ass every time, but I'd, I'd try it. You, you know, it's quite out rally him. <laughs> it would come to. I certainly <laughs> wouldn't be doing that. But it would come to. It comes to execution, right? But I, I don't know. I just think, you know, I, I actually find myself saying this as well uh, to to Gabby and Aaron, and I say this to Harry and Lloyd at times. You know what to do. Back yourself. You 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 feel it. You feel it. I have no doubts right now. Got no doubts. You you back yourself. Because but also have you have you ever done a lot of play calling from the outside as a coach? <sighs> at, at, at the end of the day, it's also just like how much knowledge are you actually putting into it? There's so many calls to be made. I feel like I've done it sometimes and in practice and doing. And at the end, you're just kind of guessing, just like, yeah, yeah, go wide here. And how much can they actually be behind it for the coach? Like, Yeah, it's, uh, but but I'm saying like in, in that particular match, and maybe this has been happening with Alcaraz for a while, and, and it's just come to the forefront because of what happened in that match. But I think he almost, maybe I'm making this up to, to fit my narrative, and I apologize if I am. But my understanding was that he'd gone to the back and he and Alcaraz had said, "I'm going to do this," and and Ferrero had said, "No, no, no, no. This is the wide serve and volley again. This is the wide serve and volley again." And Medvedev was just freaking waiting there. He was waiting there, and it worked in the first set, you know, and you could see that it was working. But he was when the big moments came, he was just he was sitting there, and I just think the intuition sometimes of a player that you wouldn't always fully get as a coach, you're involved in the match, you have a good feeling, of course, would be like, right, actually, he thinks I'm doing this, so I think this is now the time to do that. There's there's that kind of chess, there's that chess element to a game as well, uh, and, and to, to tennis, which is which I love. And 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 uh, that was the kind that was the point I was clumsily trying to make. That on from the outside, you're just kind of saying stuff at the end, like there's so much information in a match and like you say the feeling and from the outside you're like oh yeah go wide here but sometimes I, when I've done it I've, I've, I, yeah I know this is but you like you said you just have a gut feeling and why why is the coach sometimes it's you just say stuff to say it I think but that brings me back to my last point I promise then I'll move on and we'll we'll talk about Novak 24 uh, because he, he he deserves that with what he's currently doing to to the men's game but my original point was I think it's I think it's really interesting and, and to me I'm extremely curious about it because of the magnitude of the player that we're talking about that we almost feel is this this next generation pedestal incredible like who doesn't love Carlos Alcaraz I mean the guy even he sang the I don't know the exact song but the Spanish song the singer was in the crowd and you know, he said about, and then he, he sang it and did a little dance. You know, he's just like, he, he he has it, he gets it, you know. And and I think it just showed quite a bit of vulnerability and maybe a bit of a chink in his armor, which is which is the curiosity for me. But maybe not. Maybe that's the way that the, the sport of tennis is going as well. 
it's interesting because it goes against the grain of what we've almost all been grown up to think as well, you know, and I, and, and I, yeah, for, for, for better or for worse, I think it's a, it's a good subject. So, um, Emily, before I know you play tomorrow, so we can't keep you much longer and a big well done today. And Novak, whether we, we love him or we love him. Um, uh, I don't know if you caught it, Gabby, but as you were walking out for the final, um, you know, it's bizarre finals day of a, of a Grand Slam, apart from obviously the crowds, the player sections, you can get seats. There's nobody sat there anymore in the gym. There's nobody on the bikes. They were even taking all the bikes away, you know, on the Sunday, they left one bike, you know, and it, it looked like it, the whole place. And Novak, as we were walking out, he, he turned to the girls and he said, good luck girls, you know, as, as they were, as they were walking out to the court, and I, I don't know why I said it, maybe a bit of nervous energy, but I said, I said, come on, Novak, you got to win this one for us oldies. And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, and, you said that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, he, and he looked at me, smiled, and, and basically said, I got, I've got this for us, don't worry. I've got this for us. You know, <laughs> and there was such a like, I believed him. Do you know what I mean? I, I I completely believed him. You know, I absolutely do not bet and do not bet on tennis. But it, it was he he gave the he gave the approval nod of approval. There was no bluff. There was no half. There was no puff. It was yeah yeah. Don't worry about this kid. You know, I I've got this one in the bag. Um and and he did and he and he does and he's on to number twenty four. My kids are laughing at the TikTok of him bringing the the twenty four jacket out that's white, uh, that maybe was made ready for Wimbledon. The all white twenty four <laughs> jackets. Matthew, my little boy's been saying that's the Wimbledon jacket, and he's shown me it all on TikTok uh, that it's maybe been in his bag for a few months. But there seems to be no stopping him. Uh, he's got many years left in the game. It seems Emily and. He's yeah, which whichever way we look at it, he's gonna go down as as the greatest ever male tennis player. You know, that's there's no question about that now, I don't think. What do you think, Em? Um, I think what was cool was that you can see how much it still means to him. And it meant probably meant just as much when you saw the pictures and if you saw the pictures of him going home to yes. Serbia and how yeah. emotional he was, that was incredible. Yeah. That he was that emotional about it. And you think if he's won that many that you'd kind of be a bit more chilled about it. And rather than my whole house screaming at the television when Gabby won, um, it, it was a little more in control than that when, when Novak won. But I still wanted to stay up to watch it. And yeah, it was clinical. There was a, there was obviously the few moments when he didn't look great physically, which the, there often is. Um, and then he was fine. Um, but this, the debate about the greatest of all time doesn't really interest me much. Um, but in terms of numbers, yeah, okay, we can say that. And Freddie, your take your take on the final? Uh, I thought there was really good ball striking, very high level. I thought it was very interesting at the end of the second set uh, that Medvedev kind of let that one get away. It seemed like yeah. he was looking to become, to get it on top of the match. And I think he had a very good chance on a passing passing shot on the set point and when he didn't get that there was only one winner really yeah so he's just inevitable novak honestly he's he's a force of nature he makes it happen yeah what can you say do you think i, I had this thought today a little bit sad that i get these thoughts coming to my head but 
he didn't play Australia one year or two years. He wasn't allowed in the US for a period of time. And if we go back to what we're saying, this whole kind of proving the point to somebody and, you know, what makes top athletes tick, I almost I almost feel for the rest of the field, those events aren't good <laughs> because it's almost like it's reignited them even more. Um, we touched on Alcaraz is probably reigniting him as well. You know, what makes him tick? You know, he's he's now got another genuine contender and rival by his side that I think is gonna 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 push him. But it just it, it's what what's what makes him just seems to be what makes him work. And he yeah, he almost to me looks he almost just looks unbeatable. And Alcaraz at Wimbledon beat him by playing off the charts in those moments and surprised us all that with his ability to do that. And and if you can't just continually do that five, six, seven key, key moments in the match, he eventually seems to eat you up. And we're talking age 36 now, Gabby. Even Isovich, I think, made the comment that he's going to continue at least to the Olympics in Los Angeles in 2028. Um, and that takes him to 41. You know, we've got a lot of doubles players. We've got Rohan Bapana, who I need to give a massive shout out to. You know, Rohan, obviously uh, uh, another final at a Grand Slam. And we'll get to we'll get to John Raj in a minute as well. But how hard is it to keep yourself in physical, mental shape? I mean, I know you're nowhere near there. I'm not putting you there, but all the way into your 40s to be playing it in the singles game. I don't know. I think it's incredibly <laughs> difficult. <laughs> um, I think uh, even doubles can be difficult. So for singles, I really have no idea. There's some magic water that they must be drinking and uh, some secret fitness weapons that they must be trying to hone because it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. I don't know how they're doing it that late into their 30s or early 40s. Emily, I'm thinking maybe, that... Emily, maybe Emily has some tips. Emily, <laughs> Emily might be able to tell us very soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no rocket science. Just hard work every day. I'm thinking that these guys are so obsessed that I'm genuinely interested to see how, what are they going to do with their lives once their career is over? How are they going to substitute this mad dash for being the best in the history of the game with well, essentially, for me, it's life. less the physical side that's interesting with that, but it's just the desire that he has. Like, doesn't need money, doesn't need any more titles. Like he, like, but he does. He wants it. He wants it more. Exactly. And so how are you going to have my theory? That, for me, it's harder to capture at that level and to keep the pressure of keeping at them. It just must be crazy that he just I, wants it that much. But I would, ha I, I definitely have a theory on that. If like, I don't know if this is, it's quite a personal thing to share maybe, but in terms of, if I take, yeah, if I take my dad and my brother, I've got a lovely relationship with them both, but Northeastern, quite Northeast of England, quite strict, um, not the best at showing emotions. And, and, and certainly if I take me as a, me as a player, and and this has probably now gone into my coaching career as well. They wouldn't necessarily be the easiest people to get 
gratification from. Yeah. And, and I think probably quite a lot of people can relate to that in, in their, with their families or with, with, with different people that a hundred percent, if I reflect like when I played Wimbledon and when I match at Wimbledon, thousands of people watching my dad and my brother being there were the two that got me yeah. to see, to see, to see pride in there. And, and I have another brother who continually told me how proud he was of me. And I love him equally as much as my other brother and my dad that didn't have as much of an impact on me because I'd already got his validation and gratification. Now, again, it sounds a bit crazy. I'm talking about Dan Keenan compared to Novak Djokovic, but now fast forward to this last weekend and we've had a bit of a joke about it, but it's certainly not me that's won the grand slams. You know, the, the players have won the grand slams, but to, to play a role in two winning grand slams in the weekend there's been a lot of emotion, like a lot of strong, strong, strong emotion that I've that I felt related to that. And again, a lot of that is linked to some form of probably validation from various people. Now, to chuck that now to Djokovic, I think that's one of his big driving forces because I think he genuinely... And I think we're going to see more and more emotion from him over the next few years, because I think yeah, I he, think he wants to make people proud. He wants to make his he wants to make people proud, and he wants to be liked. He, but I think he, he he's still that, that little yet. kid in Serbia who's fighting against everything yeah, that doesn't fit in the tennis world. Who's still who's still fighting against that, and I think yeah. he's you still see that. And he hates it when everyone go on about Federer and everyone goes on about Nadal. And now people are going on about Alcaraz. I think it absolutely eats at him. And 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 I think he's he's strongly, strongly motivated. I think that's what we saw a couple of days ago in Serbia. He hasn't always got that in Serbia. He hasn't always got that like overflowing love from so many people. You know, he's always been the one that's fought up against it. And I think it'll keep burning within him for quite a while because I think that's what he's after and and I'm not inside Novak's head but I I but I do think it is quite strongly linked to to that sort of yeah the craving of being known as but just Novak Dan Dr. just coming back to how we started the podcast don't you think it would be so interesting if we actually could get close enough to ask that question like about what drives him because I think if people found out that from Djokovic, I think they would much. I think they would be way more interested in the story if they actually got down underneath to yeah. what's going on. Like especially in this situation, like if someone actually sat him down and said, like, what what motivates you to get up when you've you've got full family and you've got everything you could possibly want from that perspective to actually keep that level of intensity and want another slam, another brilliant performance and another challenge. Well, I think he'll also mention, I think you'll mention his kids quite a bit as well. He, he, that seems to be quite a driving force. Whereas Andy, when I asked Andy that question, I thought it was quite funny that Andy turned around and said, I realised my kids didn't give a shit, <laughs> basically, <laughs> you know, no, which is, which I think is quite mm. interesting. Whereas I think the culture is different as well. The Serbian yeah. culture, the British culture is very different. There's a, there's a, there's a lot more, seems to be a lot more emotion attached. Um, but, but really interesting. I, I now, think, 
I think you're onto something though, because remember the Medvedev final he lost, and he—that was the first time he really got. He felt like he had the crowd on his side, and yeah. it was the first time I didn't really see any anger or any like outward tenacity to yeah. the, the fu attitude. It was more like yeah, everyone needs a bit of more relaxed, <laughs> and it was almost like he enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I can't, convinced is a strong word, but that's something I certainly see. I, I see within Novak and and I've said it a few times on this podcast. I think eventually you'll get it. And I think you'll you'll soften more and more and more people as, as we go. Um I have to definitely give a big shout out to to Gordon Reed and then Alfie Hewitt. Alfie won his twenty sixth Grand Slam. Um and Alfie was our last guest on on the on the podcast as well. Uh, then Gordon Reed, who has been a big friend and been on the podcast on numerous times, it's great to see him back in in a, in a wheelchair Grand Slam singles final, you know, and to have 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 the two Brits. Um, and it was lovely for me spending a bit of time with them. Now that's one of the other big positives of this podcast: getting to know so many more people in the tennis world and having those relationships. And I had lovely catch ups with with them both. So a big big well done to them. Um. Joe Salisbury, Rajiv Ram, you know, uh, an amazing story in, in the men's doubles of, of massively struggled and announced that they'd split from playing with each other. Um, it's going to be interesting if they go back on that. You know, that was announced sometime after after Wimbledon. Um, it's going to be really interesting now that they've they've made history. I believe it's over 90 years since a men's doubles pairs won three back to back titles. Um and you know coming kind of from nowhere, but in, in a year where they've struggled for wins for them to be able to go through the draw, obviously great guys. Dave O'Hare, uh, Joe's coach was 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 on the podcast very recently as well, and and John Raj have been have been on as well, and then of course Louis Kaye, another incredible title for him. Um, did you see any of the any Chris of the Eaton. men's doubles and Chris Eaton as well? Who Chris has not been on the podcast though. So, we, so no need to mention him. Well, well, hey, come on, we can't mention everybody. You know, you gotta gotta be part of the, the one CTC, thing. But... The one thing I'll start to highlight by men's double is I want to pay pay attention to uh, or put attention to Rowan Bopana's uh, really nice moment of sportsmanship in the final. I thought yeah. that was a testament to his character and the person he is. And you know, people talk about sportsmanship a, a lot, and it's a lot easier when it's not in a very tough moment but he was down a break in the third about to go and and made himself go love 30 down in the third set yeah and those are the moments where you show your true character the more likely you are to want to win that point and you don't i thought that was great i love that moment yeah and rohan i mean how long is he gonna go for i mean he's he's 43 44 44 in march oldest finalist ever right I think yeah. the oldest finalist ever. Yeah. Brilliant. So big a big, big shout out to them. And and I'm sure there's another event. What was that other event? I was trying to there was one more event we've not mentioned. Oh, that's right. The mix the mixed doubles. What happened uh, in the mixed doubles then? <laughs> well, two two amazing people took the title who and that in itself was a great story and and they it's a great story because they worked together for years they had the <laughs> they came through they put all this <laughs> and, and and actually harry so harry heliavara 
and and Anna Danalina. Again, two lovely people who absolutely deserve that their their moment and and they played fantastically well. Beat the the current world number one men's doubles player and the current number one women's doubles player in Jess Pagula and Austin Krajcek in the final, which is a pretty cool way to do it as well on 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 Arthur Rash. But um, yeah, Harry, we were talking about it and Harry was like <laughs> about two days before the US Open started. He genuinely was gutted because he was like, it's the first time I've decided I'm going to play mixed doubles. In in French Open, my wife was about to give birth. So as soon as I lost in men's doubles, I had to get back. But I had eight people ask me. There was eight different people ask me to play doubles with them. And he said, and here I am two days before the event. And I've asked, I've asked about 10 girls and they've all said no. So he, <laughs> he, so he genuinely thought he was he wasn't going to have a partner. Then at the very last minute with with Anna, um, and for for those guys to to go on and like I say win five matches and pick up a Grand Slam title was was incredible as well. Must be Dan's good coaching, Dan. Jeff Anna's coach did a great job. <laughs> it was that and was a play and the and the award for most underplayed role of the tournament goes to <laughs> what was it like from your side what was what was fascinating from your honestly on as a coaching point of view you know you've, you've been through a lot with harry and all this stuff that must have been great to see though it was and and, and i think what was what was great to see actually is expression the ability to express yourself on the court you know and i think you know you talked about it earlier i think off air freddie you know it, it, this, this doubles lot can become quite serious and you know it, it, at times as, as tennis players we can become overthinkers we tend to we start playing with a straight jacket a little bit. We start questioning what we're doing. We start there's obviously, you know, I work under Louis Kaya, who is is incredible. You know, we work under systems and there's there's all linked to percentages and it's it's all amazing. It's all absolutely incredible. And I, I wouldn't change any of that. But players can also sometimes stress themselves out with that and and lose a little bit of their um, yeah, their their freedom to perform, and you know, Harry has had a he's had a challenging few months more from being out of the game with for eight weeks with his wife giving birth. So then you you come back and the men's doubles, he he, he had a bit of a, a bit of a tough time, uh, and you know, to see kind of his face at the end of that, it just uh, uh, for for me on a on a on a personal level with with Harry, but then with Gabby and Aaron as well to see those personal journeys and see what it means to them and everything that they've put into it. And to see that firsthand was incredible. And you look at the video of the matches, Harry seriously performed like seriously, as did Anna, you know, they, they won and, and the, the doubles because doubles at grand slams is best of three sets and it's not sudden death juices. I think that's really interesting because you, you get a bit used to that. And then when you go into the mixed, you realize, shit, the two sets in a tiebreak is an absolute crapshoot. Like it, it, it happens like so fast. And, and, and I would say genuinely in, in the second round against Parks and Kudla and in the final against Pagula 
and Krychek, they won 14 out of the 15 moments. And quite often those moments were sudden death juices. And out of those 14 that they won, I reckon they hit 13 winners. You know, so like it was a real like, oh my God, they've done it again. Or like mm -hmm. 15, 40 down, unbelievable point, juice is, you know, uh, or 30, 40, 30, 40, Pavic serving to Anna, Pavic hitting a 120 and Anna hitting a clean winner, bullet down the line winner. You know, like they, they absolutely, <laughs> one of our big sayings is, was play to win. You know, you don't play not to lose, don't protect, you know, go out and grab it, go and stick to the process, go and do it. And to see that come to fruition was was absolutely incredible. So a big, big well done to to those guys and everyone associated with them as well. So a, a very fun US Open 2023. Uh, last words. Have Can I just ask one thing, though, because we we talked we talked to Gabby, but not that much because I want to you mentioned the Harry and maybe not. How how was it going into the US Open? Because obviously the. The last few months weren't exactly as you hoped, Gabby. How why how do you think that this particular partnership or these these two weeks just went so well for you guys? Uh I think well, actually this might sound a bit weird, but my mom said when she was watching our matches back on the replay, because she's too nervous to watch them live, she said it looked like we had some kind of intangibles. And I think where that came from was we had a really open and honest discussion before the tournament that we would support each other unconditionally. And that was spearheaded by Dan and Bruce. And that really made the difference for us because we stuck by each other, literally no matter what was happening in the match, no matter how terrible we were playing or how well we were playing, we reminded each other very often of sticking with the process and that we wouldn't win these matches unless we did that. And I, th I think that's what got us through. It's the only thing that I can think of that got us through truly. Um, because I think also Aaron nev never having been past the quarterfinals of a slam, then to be in semis, then to be in the finals, then for me to have a second chance to actually get the grand slam. because my first was in 2019 at Wimbledon if you start thinking about that moment too much, you will lose it. I think, um, I don't know how someone like Novak can do it over and over and over and over again and maintain his focus and like go for these, <laughs> go for these unbelievable goals. And it doesn't look like he like gets nervous. Like, it's just, it's like superhuman to me. Um, so for us, we really, we really had to kind of break it down and keep it simple. And I know for me personally, going into the finals, I was like, okay, this is like a first round match. It's raining outside. We were scheduled on court 10. Can't play on court 10 because it's raining. We've been moved indoors. There's a slot open on Ash. Here we go. Let's play. Um, because that those, the other two times that I played on Ash were like that it was because it was raining and they had a slot open and they moved us to Ash. So it actually played on Ash before that. That's yeah. Twice, which I think really helped as well, but yeah, almost like tricking your brain <laughs> kind of thing to not let the moment get to you. And then in terms of partnership and teamwork, just really, really sticking by each other. 
that was that was the key. And that seemed to be really important because that first set breaker was massive, huh? Yeah. After I fell, I really don't remember what happened. And I know Aaron was just carrying and I was like, okay, <laughs> we were up <laughs> six, four and now it's nine all. Okay. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, was yeah, like, was I don't think I hit my head, but it kind of feels like I hit my head. <laughs> I didn't hit my head, but yeah. <laughs> it was some wild stuff going on on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron might have caught a backhand quite late for a win at one point as well, but yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she hit a few of those actually in yeah. inter matches. Yeah, really clutch. It was good to watch. And you guys stayed also really calm after they came back after the injury time and they took two games back. And I guess yeah, that's just fundamental games... what you talked about. Yeah, the two games coming back didn't really bother me because I was like, okay, three loves, like a good lead, two games, it's fine. You know, we're we're playing well. You know, it wasn't like we were losing focus and then I didn't feel like the momentum was no. necessarily shifting. So And thanks. the four two. The I think I think one lesson that I think's worth worth sharing, certainly with any junior players listening. Grand Slam final, seven six, four two up. Played a great game, you know, but really pushed the other team's serve, you know, and had a couple of break points, had a couple of chances, four or five juices, didn't quite get the break. But then going into serve at 4-3 on the back of that game, I think was really big rather than losing the 4-2 game to love and all of a sudden you're serving again, you know, and I, and I think that was... Uh, you, you, you are you're looking at in these in these moments in these big matches as you know freddie it's it's it is the small little there's so many little small things that go into it but i i think that was a really important moment because you know erin serving at 4-3 in the second set not for a grand slam but close enough it's really different doing it on the back of playing a really good positive return game where you've prolonged and added pressure to the other team than it is playing a bit of a crappy game, losing a couple of you know easy returns, and then all of a sudden have to serve. I will challenge that a little bit and say that I could also, I could maybe personally see it as, oh shit, we didn't get this long game. There was an opportunity. Yes. They got some mental back to have some belief. I think but it's just... I uh, agree, but they were so locked in and that was... You know, for me, they were so locked into this bubble, which we talked about. The bubble, you're together. That's where you are. You know, if you come, the only time you come out of any, but we're in the bubble with you. You know, if you need us, we're there. I think they did such an amazing job of being in there. I, I completely take your point, but I, I could. T they weren't thinking that it was. It they they were so in the process, so committed to what they were doing, that good the good stuff and even the three love the three two they didn't do that much wrong in those games you know Siegman hit a couple of balls on the line you know a couple of good lobs a couple you know there was a couple of things that happened but they'd maintained the commitment to what they were trying to do on the court so so then it's e much easier to just continue doing that rather than play a nervy few games where you maybe get out of the moment your your mind starts to wander and and I, and I think the the 4-2 to 4-3 game even though they lost it was testament to that because 
I think if, if memory serves me correct, maybe they had four or five game points, which it kind of would have been easy to, oh, okay, 4-3, we're still serving. But it was, no, 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 there's another point to play. We now try and do our best to win this point. Mm. And now we try and do our best to win this point. Okay, okay, it's now another game. And it, uh, it's now another point, you know, and I think that was that was the mentality and, and that's massive testament to, to Gabby and Aaron to be able to do that in the biggest of biggest of moments in a, in a, in a Grand Slam final and then to do it again at 5-3 to get the break, you know, which was another, another juice game, lost two match points, you know, going back into that and then still being able to do it. And that's, yeah, that it, it's, a, it's a massive, massive big up to to those that buy into process and buy into committing to the to the correct process um and 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 mental toughness to be able to do that so a big 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 well done and also dan put a funny stat to me about you made kind of history by being the first specialist doubles team to win in a long time so is that true is that right? I don't know if it's what? if it's a Dan fact. I just bought into Dan's fact. I mean, you yeah, could argue that the Sue and Strichova winning Wimbledon this year are specialists, but yeah, because so, they still play really good singles. But yeah, I think I I I think I'd like to throw that to a listener actually. So 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 what we're saying is women's doubles. I was told earlier this year, so this wasn't. This wasn't, oh, I've got a team that's won the women's doubles. Let's make up this stat to make it sound even better because it it, it already does. They're US Open champions. That doesn't need to, it doesn't need any extra weight. But I got told, yeah, in Indian well, six months ago, that it's 23 years since uh, a women's doubles team that only has two doubles players. And now what the criteria is, I don't know, but I would guess that criteria is top 100 singles or at the very least Grand Slam qualies. I'm not buying the stat if it means you've got a singles ranking because Aaron's got a singles ranking. So uh, it's at least in the last, what, 23 times four, the, the last 92 Grand Slams of women's doubles, my understanding is there's been at least one woman in the team that is still classified as a singles player. Um, I'm, I'd love a listener to pick up on that and fact check it. And also, Gabby, last time you won a slam, you made huge strides in the political connection between India and Canada. So what are you going to do for, for Canada and New Zealand this time? <laughs> um, well, Erin's more Canadian than me. She lives in Montreal. So <laughs> uh, maybe she can do something for me with New Zealand, though, because I want to maybe live there one day. So. <laughs> what about transforming sustainability in the sport with what you've achieved? Oh, yeah, with uh, either high-impact athletes or maybe eco-athletes. Yeah, for sure there's there's some room to to do some I wanted to say do some damage, but that's not what I mean it in a positive way. But <laughs> in in like, yeah, in either like the climate space or sustainable fashion space. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Wait, it was hell, hell of an effort. My my la my last question, Gabby, and maybe this is more of a a coach question than a than a than a podcast host question. How are you and Aaron gonna reset? and get your minds ready to stay in that bubble over the next five or six weeks. 
towards the end of the year? Um, well, I mean, I wrote her a message the other day, just being like, I love what we're doing. And because a lot of people have been asking about like, oh, you're in finals in Cancun, like blah, blah, blah. But it's, if we try to focus on qualifying for that, it's like way too much pressure and it's going to make the next few weeks, like really not fun, I think. So I just told her, look, if we end up qualifying, great. But if we don't, it's totally fine. And I just think we can do it. Don't you have what the ATP has that if you win a slam, you're automatically qualified? No. No, what we don't have that. What a stink. It's it's a what? Uh, not great. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So we don't have that. So we would still have to qualify because I think we're like team 10. So basically, I just told her like that result doesn't matter. Uh, if it happens, great. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. So I think that was one I wouldn't call it like an elephant in the room, but I would just say that's one big thing that probably a lot of people are like paying attention to now that it's just like, it's out of our hands. We just have to keep doing what we're doing. And the good elephant though, Gabs. Yeah. Great elephant. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2023. It's it, somebody said the other day on Twitter that it feels like the U S Open should be the end of the tennis year. And and then you know, and I think probably tennis players, tennis coaches can can relate to that a little bit. Obviously, we there's not a big off season, you know. There's still there's still plenty of tennis, especially if you look at the ATP calendar. Actually, you know, the, I know the WTA calendar comes to a close a little bit earlier, but then you've got Billie Jean King Cup finals. Um, it, it continues, Gabby. But if we talk about a storyline, each we have to do this at the end of each show. What's the storyline to look out for in the rest of 2023? China. China's coming back. But how's that happened so quickly after the WTA made such a stance? Do we know how Peng Shui is doing? Do we know how that situation is? Because there was obviously a big, there was a big thing about that for for a, a, a couple of months, but she is she back? Is she... Yeah, she I think she's in China. Um I haven't spoken to her personally, so I don't really know how she's doing. Maybe she'll come to the tennis tournaments in Beijing or Jinju. She'll get a wild card. I think it would be I think it would be nice for us to to know that she's that she's okay and living a, a free life. You know, I think that's that was one of the big issues that the WTA had with China, right? You know, so I think Mm-hmm. Let's not just sweep that under the carpet. Let's let's hope that we we get a little bit more clarity on that as well. And 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 Freddie, Gabby, what what about the the storylines? What have you guys? I mean, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one, Freddie, and then I'm gonna throw it to you. Uh, Holger Rune, he was he's been a big story throughout 2023. Um, he has no longer with Patrick Moratoglu. Um, I saw today that it's been announced he is back with. His his old coach, who's coached him from the age of five years old, Lars, and I apologize, I don't know Lars's surname, but it, it's mm-hmm. yeah, and 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 it seems like, as with many players, when things aren't quite going the way that they want, and it's going back to basics, you know, going back to basics, going back to what he knows, um, getting getting that hard work in. So, what can we expect from Holger for the rest of the year? I think you can expect a push for the rest of the season. I think he is uh, disappointed with how the summer went, especially having had a fairly good clay season. 
and in my opinion quite a good Wimbledon where he really took it to Carlos and with a little I think Carlos was lucky to get away as easily as he did and then obviously it goes without saying the summer in America was not really something that he had hoped for and there's a great tennis player there you grow up things have been in a certain way you're trying to find your way you think let me try this let me try that it worked out at first maybe now it doesn't work out anymore and last was always kind of involved but now it's kind of like okay back to basics as you said and um, there's a hell of a player there and I think he's gonna attack the end of the season well and finish off strong I think it's uh, it's pretty remarkable that considering how he's also outspoken about now how how tough it's been with the train with the coach's situation and the chaos and last not being there for the clay and what is happening and he still had a good clay season so even in a very difficult situation season he's still number four in the world and and has done very well so i'm i'm inside excited to see him get back on track and i think like i said there's a hell of a player there who can compete with anybody in the world and uh focus is to finish strong and get ready to act the slams in 2024 and i, I think he'll he'll come back he'll he'll have a strong fall i certainly hope so hopefully caroline will get to play a few more tournaments from another danish point of view can't believe but, we didn't mention uh, her Unbelievable. Before, <laughs> unbelievable. Be, like unbelievable. Before my ESPN went off in my hotel room, I watched a play against Kvitova. My God, I was absolutely astounded. I thought, yeah. like her, level, the level that she's come back at is wow. absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Like wow, and physically absolutely. as well, like amazing. I actually thought a forehand was better. Agreed. Yeah. Up a break in the third against Coco. No, 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 no. Like she, for me, she can push for slams in twenty-four. I agree. I really do. That that I can't believe we not mentioned that because I'm pleased that that's come up because I was super, super, super impressed with her. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think that uh, the only thing that cost her really now was um, lacking matches, and she lost a little bit against Coco because uh, she was. Uh, yeah, short on matches and, and, and time on court. Very, very good. And our last word goes to our US Open champion, Gabby Dabrowski. On a more uh, national level, uh, Tennis Canada has a new director of women's tennis. So I'd be really interested to see what she brings to the table. Who's that? Noelle Van Lottem. I haven't met her yet. So sometime soon. She's just moved from the UK. Yeah, she just moved from Scotland, from Glasgow. Great. Well, guys, thank you as ever for, for your time. Uh, all the best this week, Emily. And, thank and, you. And Gabby for the rest of the year. And obviously, Freddie Davis Cup tie with Brazil this week as well. So you've all got you've all got lots of exciting things that are happening. All the very best and, and, and a big, big well done. And thank you for, for coming on. Thanks thank a lot. You. Thanks, Dan. So there we have it. That will be our last review show until 2024. Where is time going? You know, we'll be back in Australia at the start of next year. But what a what a fantastic conversation that was with, with great people, passionate tennis people, and for us to be able to celebrate Gabby's success of last weekend was was wonderful to do so with everyone else on, on the panel. And yeah, we want to hear from you. What did you think 
Is Novak going to hit 30 Grand Slams? You know, is Eager, have people worked out how to beat Eager out there on the tour? Is Coco Goff now the one to beat? Or is she going to be let down by the forehand side, which we discussed, and she was able to manage so well and smartly in the final? There's lots more exciting tennis. We have the Davis Cup right now, and we're very lucky actually here in Sota Grande, Spain, because we have the Billie Jean King Cup Finals in a few weeks' time in Sevilla, which is two hours from Soto Tennis Academy. And then a couple of weeks after, we then have the Davis Cup Finals in Malaga, which is only an hour away. So, hey, if you fancy a bit of tennis, come and play in at the academy and watching the top, top international players as they come towards the end or at the end of their season representing their countries in the Billie Jean King Cup and Davis Cup finals then please do reach out and get in touch with us but until next time I'm Dan Keenan and we are Control the Controllables.